0: Welcome to 11 Minute Sessions. Uh, My name's Tim Beams. I'm the founder of Le Interfeek and a pain physio and educator. And I have the great pleasure of introducing Lisanthia Taylor today, who is, uh, well, you have some similarity in terms of your background as a physio, a pain physio and a narrative medicine scholar. So um, well, before further ado, we're just going to jump straight in there and uh, see where see where our conversation, our eleven minute conversation takes us. So I'm excited,
1: I'm gonna... Tim. Let's do this. It's eleven minutes. Where can it go wrong?
0: Oh, exactly. I'm going to press the timer now, just to just to create a little bit of stress there. Narrative medicine. Is that something that we all do and we just don't know we're doing?
1: I, I think so. And I, so what I think is, you know, when you, you meet a clinician that's been a physio for forever and they've got that, that intuition, that sixth sense, that knowing, and you might think, well, I don't want to have to do this for, you know, 30 years to get that. Because really, that, I mean, it's pattern recognition, but it's a, you know, it's pattern recognition in people's stories, experiences um, that they bring into the clinic. And that kind of that spidey sense, that knowing. The thing about narrative medicine for me was recognizing there's a whole world in art, literature, poetry that is about these creative outputs showing us how human experiences work and giving us those skills in a way that means that it's not something that is you know sort of is that people that we just need to keep kind of chugging along and like, we'll get it in time. Mm-hmm. It's more like, well, if we teach people how to do this and give them a framework and give them fun and creativity and reflective time in groups, which we so rarely get in any kind of clinical practice.
0: Mm. Maybe
1: we might not have people leaving professions and saying they hate clinical work and it's all too hard. So, yes, narrative medicine for me has been eye-opening, absolutely. And I have to say I'm happier as a clinician for doing it than I've ever been. And I've been doing it for a while.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Lovely to hear. So, so I've got a couple of thoughts coming from here. I mean, the one is it, I think it's interesting that your perspective is about maintaining interest, and, and cu- I think there's a sort of curiosity as well, isn't there, of opening up story um, for the clinician. What, where or what or how can that benefit our patients as well?
1: Right. In, you know, in so, in so many ways because think like what, what is it that we do when someone you know, comes in to see us? We say, what brings you in today? You know, there, there, there's an opening of a story. And so there's a little bit I think of um, perhaps a, Mm, fad or a trend to ask, you know, tell me your story. And I actually think that's a really terrible idea unless you actually know how stories work, mm. because that's a Pandora's box. That might be devaluing someone's experience if they hear the word story in the wrong way. Mm. But if we know that some people are going to tell us the story, no matter whether we ask for it or not, and all of that story, and that story might be the fact they sit there with crossed arms and don't know what to tell us. So if we haven't encountered these, characters, these situations, even, you know, very often there's a great kind of analogy between the way that patients might try to explain to us their experiences might sound quite a lot like poems. You know, poems kind of sit there asking us to interpret what in fact is trying to be said here Mm -hmm. and so so i think that this is actually at its own kind of graded exposure to those clinical stories because though you you have no idea what story is going to come into the clinic in that day so you better have this great you know mushroom cloud around you of, of, of literacy in the way that stories can be told. Mm-hmm. So the benefit, I think that the, the benefit to, to clinicians is that there's a skill set here that's absolutely imperative that we're not taught. And I wonder as well as the way we approach education is kind of you know, the humanities are nice to have versus actually humanities are there to, you know, even the word humanities is to teach us how to capture and express what it means to be human. Mm. And that's everything that we bring to the clinic, no matter what flavour of work we do.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah. Are we at risk of losing that human Touch or the the human side. Then, if we if we're not open to this way of thinking or working,
1: well, I'd say we've lost or already, and we need to bring it back. <laughs> I mean, I uh, so so I mean, we, we, you know, so the biomedical turn towards you know the body as a machine, and so these metaphors that we hear in the clinic now weren't invented by that person in that scenario. I mean, there's a long, there's a long history of how that's come to be in our, our social understanding. And it has come from the privileging of, you know, science or the scientific method, which is incredibly important, but of that above, you know, perhaps more of the, the expressive um, sides of what it means to interact in a healthcare experience. So I think what we're actually what we actually see is, is you know we have had the modernist turn to the bio you know the, the biomedical side of things. I you know I, I guess I would see um, some parts of, of, of narrative medicine and you know creative based um, uh, areas is is you know is is a postmodern type. Um, attempt to, to bring back that humanity so it, it is a, a rehumanizing humanizing turn and like many things we we there, there absolutely is a, a friction because we we've, we've got science and evidence and, and we have evidence you know I guess it's the, the argument about you know qualitative and quantitative research you know we but but what we we need to find safe places where these things can work together and there is no place that needs it more than all of our clinical interactions but having two sides that can be human in this interaction i mean that there, there's the basis of of intersubjectivity and if any of us think we're going to do you know something magical like changing behavior um you better start with you know an, an intersubjective space to do that and i think that's the potential we have have when we build these skills in clinicians
0: yeah lovely do you so that space is that something that I mean it sounds deliberate then doesn't it and how is it that you open that space then the intersubjective space is there some specific skills that you work towards or preparation that you put into that Hmm.
1: so I think, again, it comes back to that idea perhaps of how we, how we address someone and the, the stance that we take. So, you know, taking, a I think, you know, a, maybe a more, a more biomedical or modernist type perspective is, is where we're just, we're looking, we're listening for illness features, for pathology, for, for those things that allow us to put, you know, a diagnosis onto something. And I think if we expand our awareness and also our, the worth of all of the, you know, the, the subjective and human experiences of things, we enable someone to also see that stuff being worthwhile talking about. And you know, you and I know from our clinical interactions, like that's that's the gold. That's the stuff where people tell us about their their valued activities, the things that they care about, the things that they've lost, the things that they're missing. Mm. But really our responsibility as clinicians is to build, you know, our skills in dealing with these difficult stories, almost thinking about, you know, clearing out our own space, our own biases, our own preconceived notions, the ways that we view and encounter the world, to make a space, I guess to make us a, a humility, to, to give someone the permission to engage with us rather than to tell us things that we will then filter through our you know cognitive awareness, because we're experts, obviously, and we're gonna know what to do with this person. Mm. So I'd say it it comes back to recognising we have our own stories, reflecting on what are our stories as clinicians and people, and then how do we build out those skills into seeing other ways that stories are told? Because then there's a much more equitable space for someone that is angry, that has lost a lot, that all of these really difficult things can also find a home in a clinic in a way that is perhaps and has to be generative. Can be forward focused. Can be able to have room for change to happen.
0: Hmm. Hmm. And you, and I'm mindful that you. This is with what you were saying is that it's narrative medicine opened up a world of of. Storytelling in literature, but also in art and and poetry, and so uh, is that something that you can bring into your clinic as well to help you to understand that person's? Ooh, we've started, so we will finish, as they say. <laughs> yes, uh, we will. A few minutes, but so so is that something that, that you, you can bring in different media to be able to understand someone's story?
1: Yeah. And, and, and particularly, you know, if, if you've got literacy and interest and um, awareness and, and, and desire to engage with a creative space, mm. it means that you're making the, that stuff important in your life as a clinician. That mm. means that, you know, you, that going to the theatre on a Friday night might be just as important as reading a new piece of, of, of evidence, of reading another paper. You know, when we think, am I going to get to the clinic in a space that enables me to do the best work with other people on Monday morning? You know, my, my permission to people is always engage with the world because those creative things that you have to, that have to burble around, you have to think about, you have to wonder... What is this modern art doing? It's I think you mentioned the word creativity before. It's the the creativity, it's the questioning. And they're the fundamental skills that then when something doesn't fit in a box in the clinic, because let's face it, most things don't fit in boxes. We've also we've got all these other places to even to ask someone, well, do you like? writing about this. We know expressive writing, particularly around pain, can, can be useful. Do you have a picture that you, know, you can, helps you to explain what's going on? Can you draw it for me? Does your pain have a size and a shape and all of those different things? But as a clinician, having more confidence in yourself that you're engaging with that stuff means that like nothing of that is outside of our scope of exploring how do people engage with the things that help them to share their story with us. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Lovely. Lovely. And, and I've forgotten now, but we have already run out of time on our podcast. So we will just ask a couple of little questions for our um, extended version, but um thanks everyone and thank you Lisanthia for for uh for coming on to our Thank I you for
1: having me team
0: And if you're listening to this and you enjoyed it then obviously to, you know like it comment uh follow us if you'd like to get more involved in the pub you can find us at thepubscientific.com and there are uh free memberships where you get access to a, a whole bunch of different material and information and and if you want to dive in much deeper uh, then there is a premium membership as well so uh, that is our 11 minutes